Come on. All right. So tonight, um, tonight we are concluding the series on uh, real talk. So we're talking about sex and God. And so this is going to be the conclusion of our four-week series on uh, real talk, sex and God, talking about a biblical perspective to sex and sexuality. And so tonight, what I really hope for this message to be is kind of acting as a bridge um, between where we are right now and kind of where we're going to go in next month in the month of March, all right? So if you kind of imagine my goal tonight is kind of to put a stake in the ground for where we are right now and where we've been this past, mo- past month. So I'm going to kind of go like a little broad overview and just kind of rehash some of the things that we've been through over this month. And I'm not saying these things just because I want to just say the same things over again. I'm saying them to, in hopes that they actually sink in to our hearts. And maybe if we've missed some weeks throughout the course of this month, that we'd get like a whole perspective of where we've been this, in this entire month. And the goal is that we would we'd put this post in the ground, boom, and we're driving it down deep tonight so that we can set up for the future and where we're going next month, all right? So, we're, we're wrapping up this series on sex and God. And for a lot of us, we've experienced a deeper level of freedom with the Lord than we've experienced in our entire life. Like for a lot of us, we've confessed things that maybe we've never confessed before. Maybe we've been, the Lord's restored like a level of hope for us that he actually can and wants to redeem every single part of our, our broken sexuality, right? So we've had these crazy moments with the Lord, right? But those moments with God, those moments that we have with the Lord, those aren't the things that change our life. It's not just about the moment, but it's about a journey of faithful discipleship. And it's actually a journey of freedom that's walked out in community. And that's where we're going to be going next month. So we're wrapping up the series on sex and God, but we're going to be asking the question tonight, what's next? Like, how do I move from this place, from having experienced this moment with the Lord? How do I move from this place of freedom? How do I continue that freedom so I'm not just hopping from moment to moment to moment to moment, but I can actually walk on a plane of freedom with the Lord from mountaintop to mountaintop? Does that make sense? Is everyone kind of following where we're going tonight? Good deal. Awesome. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much, God, for this opportunity Lord, I thank you for this chair too. It's really nice. And uh, Lord, I just ask tonight, Lord God, that you would just anoint the words that come out of my mouth. God, nothing I could say could ever bring any level of transformation, God. But your spirit on these words that come out of my mouth can make every single heart come to life. So I thank you, Lord, and I ask that your spirit would move in this place today. And ultimately, Jesus, I pray that you would, you would be magnified tonight. Lord, that's the whole reason we're here, God. It's just so that you would be magnified. I love you so much, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on. All right, so where we've been this entire month, right? We're talking about sex, a biblical purpose and a biblical perspective on sex and sexuality, all right? And so we've kind of talked about a lot, a large range of topics from like the first time that I preached, um, we talked about the purpose of sex, right? But then we had Real Talk Conference and Lori Cree came in and that was like a whole 
bunch, that was like a whole bunch of information, a whole boatload of information, which was great. I think I'm still processing all of the things that happened uh, throughout that weekend, which was really awesome. Um, so we've been a lot of places, and my goal tonight is to kind of like bring it all together into one place, all right? So the way that it made sense in my brain was actually the purpose pyramid, all right? The purpose pyramid. Do you guys like my pyramid? I mean, it's kind of nice, right? It's all right. So the purpose pyramid. So we, we talked about the purpose of life, and then we, from there, we've talked about the purpose of marriage, and then the purpose of sex. And if you'll notice, at the top layer, even the purpose of sex is broken down into another three-tiered pyramid, all right? And so this is kind of kind of be the outline of where we go, how we review kind of what's been happening and where we've been over the course of uh, this month, all right? And I want you to notice, this is like, I think it's a pretty strategic picture that the purpose of life is really the cornerstone. Like if, if we miss the purpose of life, how can we expect to have a thriving marriage? Or how can we expect to have a thriving sex life if we miss that foundational purpose, right? And then from that place of purpose, then we move on to like the purpose of marriage or and or the purpose of singleness, right? There's definitely an, a caveat or a, a mention there. So purpose of marriage, and if we don't get that purpose of marriage wrong, how are we going to move into like having a right and biblical perspective in a thriving sex life one day? Like, how can we expect that? So it's very, very um, intentional the way that it's set up. So first off, the purpose of life. We talked about this the first week, but the purpose of life is to be an image bearer of Christ. That's, the, that's what God set out for us on the earth. And we've talked about, we mentioned this verse once already, but Genesis 1, verse 27, it says, Genesis 1, 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. That was God's original intent, is that we would bear his image on the earth, made in his image and made in his likeness, right? Now, to bear the image of Christ doesn't necessarily mean for you to do more things or to get in line or make all of the wrong things in your life, like make them align to the image of Christ. But the way that I've, I've think, I think about it and I've thought about it before is like, how many of you guys have like a, a really, really close friend or maybe a friend that's kind of closer, but maybe in the last like three months, anybody? made like a close friend in the last like three months. Yeah. So you meet them. And the first thing that I've noticed, like when I meet these people is like, wow, like they talk really, really different. I'm thinking specifically about one of my close friends from Grand Valley. He literally has like his own lingo. It's just crazy. I have no idea half the words that come out of his mouth, but it's like, you know, I like know like the, the intent of it, I guess, right? Like, for instance, for instance, like he'll look at something or somebody will say like a sarcastic comment. And he's like, dude, that's salt water, bro. And I'm like, yeah, salt water. Yeah. Like what? That makes no sense. Right? So the first thing I noticed is like, okay, their language is like so different from mine. Right? But the more we hang out, the more that I actually start to pick up on his lingo. Right? Another one of my friends, whenever he agrees with something, he says 100p. That's what he says. 100p. He's like, 100p, that's it. He's like, it's a short for 100%, you know, I guess. But 100p, right? And I, I always thought that was the weirdest thing. But now you ask me a question and they're like, hey, Jared, like, what's going on? How, I'm thinking about this. What do you think about this? I'm like, 100p, right? I just say it. 
I thought something so foreign to me at one time is now just a part of my natural lingo. And I think that could be like a way to reflect how we become to bear the image of Christ. Is like when we first come to know Christ, his way is really foreign to us at first, right? It's really foreign to us. But the more that we spend time with him, the more we hang out with him, the more we get in his word, the more we spend time with him in prayer and worship, we start to pick up on his lingo. And pretty soon his words aren't just in his mouth coming to us, but now they're in us and coming out of our mouths. And that's when we start to bear the image of Christ is in this deep friendship that we build with God. So the purpose of life, to be an image bearer of Christ. Now, the Bible says that we're made in the image of God, but at the same time, God is very, very different than us. And he's, he's, he's holy. Like in, if you read Revelation, that's probably the most used adjective to describe the Lord is holy. And the word holy simply means to be set apart or different. And so God is literally the holiest being in the universe, which means he's the most different from us. He's the most set apart from us. And we see this played out. Isaiah mentioned this, mentions this fact in Isaiah 55 verse nine. And he says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts, says the Lord, higher than your thoughts. And my ways are higher than your ways. So basically what God is saying here is, yeah, we're called to be image bearers, but he's still like so, basically what God's saying is, hey, hey guys, like you're, you're here, you're here. I'm like here. He's saying like you operate on this way and your ways, your thoughts are here. My ways, my thoughts are here, right? There's like a difference between God, right? And we spend our lives getting to know his ways, getting to know his thoughts. Yet despite these differences, despite these vast differences between man and God, God still desires to be one with us. And we see this desire expressed when, John, when Jesus is praying in the garden. He's praying for those who would come to believe in the message about Christ in John 17. In verse 20 through 21, Jesus says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. That's crazy. If we really think about that, the holiest being in the entire universe desires to be one with us. And it's here that we kind of pivot and we shift into the purpose of marriage. So the purpose of marriage is to bear the image of Christ. And we do that in two primary ways. We become a living representative, or you could say a living analogy of God in two ways when we engage in marriage. One is we exhibit a oneness despite our differences. We have oneness despite our differences. So just like God in heaven, who's so far different from humanity, just like he desires to be one with humanity, so also a man who is intrinsically different than a woman 
desire to be one with each other. And that's the way God created it, was that in, the, in their differences, man and woman, in the difference between a man and a woman, but them still becoming one, that the world would see how much God, who is so far different from humanity, desires to have relationship and be one with humanity. So we become in marriage a gospel picture to the world there. So we see that oneness despite differences. Matthew 19, verse five through six, it says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So then they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. So the purpose of marriage is to bear the image of Christ through oneness despite differences. The second way that we bear the image of Christ in our marriage is through self-sacrificial love. Man and woman coming together in the oneness of marriage, they get to lay their life down for one another and the world can see their union together, right? The world can see a ring that's on their finger and they can say, yeah, I know and I see you're married. But when they see a married couple go through struggles together and then still lay their life down for one another, they see a, a picture, a brief glimpse of how Jesus actually desires to lay down his life for his bride through self-sacrificial love when they see the trouble that a man and wife go through together, but yet they still love and serve one another, they get a small glimpse of Jesus going through the most excruciating pain on the cross and still looking at it a crowd and saying, I love you. Now, if you're single, right? If for all of us singles in the room, these gospel pictures can still be played out. Oneness, right? Despite your differences, it might not look like you joining in with a wife or a husband one day, but it might look like you pressing into a community and staying established. And when you pursue oneness with that community, despite all of your differences, the world is gonna see God's desire to be one with humanity in you. And in self-sacrificial love, when you, when, when you experience conflict and trouble between all of the different people that you're working with inside of that community, when you actually stay committed to a community, even when you've been hurt, even when you have a right to leave, the world is going to see a self-sacrificial love that is not present anywhere else. And so my encouragement, I hope what you're getting from this is I'm not giving you a push to get married. I'm giving you a push to represent Christ and to bear his image. No matter where you find yourself, we're not waiting until we get married to live into our calling. We accept what God has called us to do right now and we live it out no matter our circumstance. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7. He says, if you're married, great bear the image of Christ. If you're single, stay single and bear the image of Christ, right? He's saying, he's speaking to both and he's saying that the goal and the purpose is the same. So we have the purpose, the purpose of marriage and the purpose of singleness kind of played out here in the oneness despite differences, self-sacrificial love, both bearing the image of Christ. And so now we come to 
So if we can pull back up that, um, that pyramid, the purpose pyramid. So we see that we have the one purpose of life kind of as a cornerstone on the bottom. We moved into the purpose of marriage and now you can see that the purpose of sex is split into three subcategories, three sub purposes, if you wanna say, okay? So we're gonna zoom in on that top pyramid now and go to the kingdom perspective of sex, all right? So you see here now the cornerstone of that top tier The first purpose that God delineates for sex is oneness that motivates self-sacrificial love. So motivating oneness is the first purpose that God delineates for sex. God created sex to be the binding agent that actually gives incentive to a man and a woman in the covenant of marriage to lay down their life for one another. It binds them spiritually It binds them emotionally. It binds them physically. And that physical bond, God created that physical bond so that we would have incentive to lay down our life for one another. When I am close to somebody and when I have a deep connection to somebody, I want to do things out of the ordinary and extraordinary for them because I love them so much. Like Pastor Nick, man, I love him. He's so awesome. As we're building like a a better relationship, I find these things welling up in my heart to do for him that actually cost me something, right? Whether it's money or time or effort. Why? It's because we're building a deeper connection, right? How much more so in marriage is when we have sex, God created this this binding to happen between a man and a woman that these these natural acts of love would flow up in us that we would say, man, there's nothing that I wouldn't give in order to be close and to stay close with that person, right? And so that's the first purpose of sex is oneness that motivates self-sacrificial love. The second purpose that we're going into is procreation. So that's legit a purpose that God intended for sex was to make more image bearers of Christ. In Genesis 1 verse 28, it says, then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So the second purpose of sex is to bring other image bearers into the world, right? And this is just crazy. Like us being made in God's image, right? God Before he created humanity, God was the only one, only being in the entire universe that could create other eternal beings. But God made us in our image. And by man and woman coming together in the context of marriage, now we actually carry the ability to bring other eternal beings into the world. (laughs) That's crazy. That's wild. And also, like God's given us an ability to bring another image bearer into the world. And if you think about it, this new little baby image bearer of Christ, they, they are going to be able to worship the Lord in a way that you aren't. Like you're actually bringing into the world an expression of worship that has never existed until that point in time. That, that is mind-boggling. What a beautiful expression, right? 
But we notice again, what was the cornerstone? Oneness, motivating self-sacrificial love. From that place of deep love between a husband and a wife, we finally create an environment where we can welcome in this new image bearer. The third purpose of sex that we find is pleasure, right? It's the top, it's the smallest, and it's really true. God intended for sex to be a pleasurable experience observed within the context of marriage. And if you want more biblical context for how sex is pleasurable, read the book of Song of Solomon. You'll find it all throughout there. There's definitely a great and a beautiful view of, of sex in there, right? Now, before we, before we move on here, um, I want to point out, so this is the, the kingdom's perspective of sex. I'm jumping a little bit down in my slides here, but I want to point out that the world and the world's perspective of sex literally likes to take these three purposes and flip it on its head. Can we think about it? This is the world's perspective of sex. Go for pleasure. Whatever makes you feel good in the moment. And then, oh, I guess if, if I'm pursu- I'm, as I'm pursuing pleasure, I hope that I don't actually get procreation. And then, but, oh, I didn't really think about, I don't really want to be with this person forever. I don't want to serve them. Like this was all about like me pursuing the play. Do you see how it's upside down? But if we look at a lot of the relationships in our life that are built off, built the world's way, how many of them are so unstable? How many of them are here one moment and they're super, super big, but then all of a sudden they're crashing and burning in the next moment? Why? It's because when you place a pyramid on its tip upside down like that, it's not stable. There's no way that it's going to actually find lasting fulfillment in that, right? But when we take the perspective of sex of the kingdom, we have a sure foundation of motivational, of motivating oneness. And from there, we can move on towards those other, other things. So now you might be thinking to yourself, Jared, I've heard all this before. Like, this is actually what I heard you say the first week of February. <laughs> and, uh, um, during Real Talk, I heard this whole thing and Pastor Jake, he actually crushed it on Sunday morning and then I went to Sunday night. Like, Jared, I've heard all of these things and I already know this. Do you have something new for me? And you know what I want to say to that is good. I'm glad that you already know it. I'm actually so glad that this is actually getting inside of our brains because do we realize that everywhere we look, every movie we watch, Every Instagram, TikTok, reel we watch, like it's all pointing towards the world's perspective of sex. And if I have a room of 120, 130 people that are all saying, Jared, like I got it. What is that gonna mean for the enemy in his kingdom? What is that gonna mean for our world? What is that gonna mean for the people that we have influence over? That's what excites me. And I'm really glad that we're getting it up here I'm really glad that we know it, but you know what I want even deeper? You know what is actually gonna transform our life? Is when the information gets here. When it gets in our heart. Proverbs 4 verse 23 says, guard your heart above all else for everything you do 
flows from it. Because once we get it in our heart, that's when it can really affect our life. So the question then is, how do we get it into our heart? And that's where we're going over this next month. This month has been so impactful for us. A lot of us have learned things, had our perspectives changed. We've received a bunch of freedom and we've had several impactful moments. But the question that is rolling around in my brain and the question I hope is rolling around in your brain is what's next? How do I continue walking in this direction of purity? How do I continue pursuing freedom? I wanna say one thing it's not before I get into what it is. It's not but from jumping to moment to moment. I know I mentioned this earlier, but I'm gonna say it again. It's not from jumping from moment to moment to moment to moment. It's not in pursuing Sunday service and then the more services I go to is the more time that I'm gonna be free. And how do I know that it's not moment to moment to moment is because of the story of Exodus. And I'm actually gonna read this out for us a little bit here. So Moses, do quick brief overview. Moses literally led an entire nation of around 2 million people out of slavery in Egypt, okay? So this is the story that you find in Exodus 6 through Exodus 14. And they saw some pretty wild things happen under the leadership of Moses. They saw the Lord split a Red Sea in half. They saw 10 plagues be poured out on the most powerful nation that existed at the time. They saw the Lord descend in a cloud and literally confuse their enemy for a time. And then they saw the Lord bring those waters that he parted back over that enemy and completely wipe them out in total. Like they had seen powerful things happen in the presence of the Lord. And you think that all of these impactful moments would have bound them to the Lord, would have set them for life. Like I've seen the Lord do so much in my life. Like now I'm set. Some of us have this, this thought in our mind, man, if I just saw a blind eye open, or if I just saw somebody stand up out of a wheelchair, if I just saw a bunch of people get slain in the spirit, then I'd be set for life. I'd never have to know one more thing about the Lord. I'd be set, right? I would know that God is real. But that's not what happened here in, in this story. The people actually turned away from the Lord and they actually reverted back to the old way that they used to live their life in Egypt. Why? There's really two reasons why. One, they didn't have a personal relationship with God. In Exodus 20, verse 18 through 19, it says, now all the people, let me give some context before I read this actually. So Moses just received the 10 commandments. And as he's receiving these 10 commandments, there are crazy things that are happening. There's thunderings, lightning flashes, all of this stuff is happening because God is literally physically face-to-face meeting with Moses, all right? So this is where we pick up, Exodus 20, verse 18 through 19. All the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak to us lest we die. This is one of the saddest verses in the entire Bible. God was asking the entire nation of Israel to meet with him the same way that he met with Moses. But the people were afraid that they were gonna die And so they rejected relationship with Christ. 
if they had only known what Jesus would later say in Matthew 16, he who seeks to save his life is gonna lose it. But he who would give his life, he's gonna find it. These people wanting to keep their life said to Moses, you speak with God and tell us what he says and we'll trust you. Now, some of us in this room, if you're honest with yourself, you resonate with the Israelites here. You wanna keep your own way of life and you wanna keep living in sin, keep living the way that you want. And so you don't pursue Christ for yourself because you're worried about your life actually dying. And so you say to the pastors, you say to the Instagram reels, you say to the podcasts, you say, you talk with God and tell me what he says, but I'm not gonna go to him because he might say, because I might die. Because I'm afraid that this life I'm holding onto is actually, he's gonna require it of me. And I just have one statement for you. That's, this heart posture is not gonna lead you into freedom. We must have a personal pursuit of Christ outside of church, outside of YouTube, outside of sermons or podcasts. We have to have a history with God that we build one-on-one with him because that lack of personal pursuit is halting our journey of freedom. The second reason why the Israelites, the second reason that the Israelites did not enter into this level of freedom that we're talking about is Exodus 32 verse one points out the fact that they did not renew their mind. They didn't change the way that they thought. A way you could say it is they got out of Egypt, but Egypt never got out of them. They were released from bondage, but that the thought patterns and the habits of bondage never got out of them. They didn't renew their mind. And we see this played out in Exodus 32, verse one. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. As soon as they encountered trouble, They reverted back to the way of Egypt, which was to make their own God and to worship him. They needed to renew their mind to the law that God had given, the way that God was moving and the new life that God was actually setting up for them. Using this Exodus story as an analogy, this month, the Lord has brought us into areas of freedom. And these have been really, really impactful moments for us. However, our minds still may be accustomed to the old way that we are living our life. We need to retrain our mind and begin to transform our mind. This is the journey of freedom. Romans 5 or Romans 8, verse 5 through 6, Paul puts it this way when, when he's talking to a group of believers who are just starting out in their relationship with God. He says, For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. We can have 
life in peace. Like there can be a journey of freedom, but what does it mean? How do we get there? He says, we willingly make a decision to set our mind on the things of the spirit. For a lot of us, and a lot of us concerning the area of sex and sexuality, we've been accustomed to living in the way of the flesh our entire life. That's our default way of thinking. That's what comes naturally to us. And what Paul is saying here, and what I'm encouraging all of us to go on this journey is to say, how do we retrain our mind to get away from what's natural to us into what will lead us into freedom, which is the way of the spirit. Romans 12, verse one through two. This is the last thing, last verse I'm gonna read for today before we pray. Romans 12, verse one through two. Paul again says, he again talking about this freedom of journey and more specific, or this journey of freedom and specifically about the renewal of your mind. He says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. What does that sound like? That sounds like personal pursuit of God. That sounds like laying your life down so that you can find your life in him. Verse two, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We see personal pursuit of Christ and we see a renewal of the mind. This is where we're going this next month, the month of March. We're specifically focusing on winning the war in your mind. We're gonna take an entire month on how do we retrain our brains from the way of the flesh into the way of the spirit? How do we take this impactful moment of freedom and actually turn it into a journey of freedom towards Christ? Now you might be saying, okay, winning the war of your mind, what war is happening? If you read Galatians 5, you'll, you'll see a comparative or a comparison between the flesh and the spirit. And kind of a culminating verse in Galatians 5 says, some, says that the flesh and the spirit are constantly at war with each other so that you do not do what you want to do. There's a battle happening inside of you right now. You Christian, there's, there's a battle going on inside of you and it's between the spirit and the flesh. And what are they warring for? What are they tugging? It's like a tug of war. What are they trying to win? What are they trying to pull over to their side? Your mind. And I believe that over the next four weeks, five weeks, as we go throughout the month of March, I believe that I'm gonna look at this community and I believe that I'm gonna see a community that is more free in their mind than we've ever been in our lives. Are you guys tracking with me? You tracking kind of where we've been, kind of where we're going? You ready for it? Let's do it. Come on. So everyone can bow your head, close your eyes. You know, the, the unique thing about Christianity that sets it apart from every other religion on the face of the planet is it's the only religion with a savior. It's the only religion 
that does not require works in order to get into heaven, but actually offers you a way of salvation that will change the way that you live. Some of you in this room, you identify with that heart posture that I was reading about the Israelites. Maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, wow, I've been running to sermons. I've been running to pastors. I've been running to all of these other things except Christ. And if I'm honest, it's because I'm nervous that he's gonna tell me to get rid of something in my life. And I wanna give you an opportunity tonight. I wanna give you an opportunity to get right with God. To say to him, Jesus, there's nothing off limits in my life and I make you Lord of every area of my life. Maybe you're in this room and you've never actually given your life to Christ. You've never even considered the fact that you could have a personal and dynamic relationship with Christ, have all your sins forgiven and be set on a path towards freedom. So if that's you and you're saying, tonight's the night, I need to get right with God. I'm done running to other things. I wanna make him the Lord of every part of my life. Would you raise your hand on the count of three? Nobody looking around. One, two, three. Raise your hand. Amazing. I see one hand. Thank you. One in the back, I see. Thank you. Amazing. Would everyone pray this prayer all together with me? Say, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for all of my sins. I believe that you died, rose again, defeating death, defeating sin, defeating the devil. And God, right now, I make you the Lord, the master, the boss of my life. I want to live for you every single day of my life. Holy Spirit, fill me up. Help me to walk on this journey with Christ. Love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much.